want to go on to this message. We started it last week. Uh, the message was under the sea. And we looked at the life of Jonah. And I actually gave you a homework assignment. I gave you a homework assignment. Anybody do your homework assignment? Can I see your hand? Come on, don't lie in church. Did you do it? Did you do it? Look at that. That's a lot of hands. I told you to read the book of Jonah. It's only four chapters. Uh, but we're going to go into the fourth chapter. Don't sit down yet. I know. We praise a long time. After this, you can sit. I promise you. Uh, go, go to Jonah chapter 4. And uh, this will be part two of last week's message. If you're watching this message uh, on YouTube uh, right now and you haven't gone back and watched Under the Sea, push pause and uh, go back and watch uh, part one. But this is part two. And I want to look at Jonah chapter four. And we're going to read the whole chapter. Is that cool? Yes. Jonah four. We'll start at verse one and we'll land at verse number 11. When you're ready... To read it with enthusiasm, say yeah. yeah. If you got a paper Bible and you're still trying to find the book of Jonah, say give me a minute. I heard it faintly in the back. I'm going to give you a minute. It's the Old Testament. Jonah chapter 4. We're going to start at verse number 1. And it says, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? You ever pray like that? <laughs> it's like you're praying, but you're really complaining about all the stuff you're upset about. Isn't this what I told you, Lord? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity look at Jonah he is mad he is ticked off but yet he still understands the character of God I knew you were gracious I knew you were so kind I knew you were always forgiving people <laughs> isn't that crazy talking about the goodness of God with attitude so look at verse 3 now Lord take away my life for it is better for me to die than to live you ain't gonna kill the Ninevites kill me then but the Lord replied is it right for you to be angry Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind... And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said again, it would be better for me to die than to live. Let me tell you something. If I'm God and you keep crying out to me talking about let me die, I'll give you what you want. That's what, that's what I would do. I, I would just give this prophet what he wants. But look at the kindness of God. He asked another question. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Tell you, just right there, lightning bolt. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals another version i read this week said and also many cattle as if god knew i would be preaching this in good old texas today but it's it's, it's verse five for me look at it jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city and there he made himself a shelter a shelter and sat in its shade homeboy made a shelter I guess you could call it a room, and sat in the shade. And that is where I want to tag this text with the title and preach to you for three and a half hours, part two from this thought, the shade room. The shade room. Look at your neighbor for the last time today and say, oh, neighbor. Don't you, you get on your nerves when the preacher says, talk to your neighbor. <laughs> get over it. Uh, <laughs> say, Neighbor. Get out the shade room. If you believe God's going to speak to you, give him some praise up in here. Father, speak today. 
Amen. You can be seated. The shade room. Social, I am not naive enough to believe, nor am I narcissistic enough in my thinking to assume that just because I preach about a particular subject on a Sunday, and then all of a sudden, on a Monday, a video goes viral that is connected to what I preached about on Sunday, I am just not naive enough to believe that somehow God really wants you to get that message. However, found it intriguing that Sunday I began our journey looking at the life of Jonah, and on Monday, I saw the craziest video. I don't know if you saw this video. Did you see the video of the kayakers that were kayaking during whale feeding time? Did y'all see this video? You didn't see it? I'm so glad you didn't, because I want you to see it. Watch this video of kayakers kayaking during whale feeding time. Watch it real quick. Yo, that's not a fake video. That is for real. Some of y'all really weren't impressed. I need you to see that again. These are kayakers kayaking during whale feeding time. Watch, watch what happened. Oh, y'all. That's not a fake video. That happened for real. And I saw that video right after I preached on Sunday. And it let me know, hey, you better get it together. God is still speaking to whales. Jonah moments are still happening. Uh, I think they said the two kayakers survived uh, the swallowing. But that video for me, that video for me, whoo, it, it did something to me. It did something to me because it reinforced a core belief and core value that I have had since I saw Jaws. <laughs> and that core belief and value is that if you happen to get bitten, swallowed, attacked, stung or sprayed by an aquatic species while you are in their environment? Hear me today very clearly. You deserved it. No, for real, for real. I want you to think I'm mean. You deserved what was coming to you because you were in their area. You were in that space. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that we ain't supposed to be out there in the water like that. I think it's absolutely asinine to go into their environment and then get shocked when they do something to you. This is just a core value I've had for a long time. I mean, reverse it. Reverse it. Imagine somebody just came in your house unannounced and had scuba gear on and just in your house moving around. You're going to do something. So I don't have a lot of empathy for people that get attacked or swallowed by whales because I have this belief that when it comes to the ocean, this is my personal belief, I like to stay on the shore. Yeah. I appreciate that shout. <laughs> I stay on the shore. This is a core belief. In fact, in this summer, our family will go to Newport Beach. And my kids always want to go uh, to the beach. And I'm trying to break down to them. That's not really what black dads do. But, you know, I try. <laughs> I'm playing. I'm playing. But we go to the beach and they're like, come on, in the water. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is dad's rule. I stay right here on the shore. I might put my foot in. If you want me to go out there like that, first of all, I'm never going way out there like that. But if you want me to even get a little further in the water, it's got to be clear. I'm talking about crystal clear, like Fiji water. I'm not going out there like that. I stay on the shore. And I know what some of y'all are thinking, you're a man of God. You should have more faith. Forget you. No, 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 no. I don't, I'm not going out there like that. I know, but we're in a, we're in a word of the Lord, pastor, is go deeper. That's the metaphor, okay? Go deeper spiritually. <laughs> When it comes to the actual ocean, I'm staying on the shore, only going in when it's clear. I might go out there, but it better be a big old boat, <laughs> a real big boat that can protect me. And I know I'm being funny and playing, but I'm curious if to how many of us approach our obedience to God the same way I approach the ocean? It's like, God, God I'll go, but I got rules of engagement. Like, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Oh, but, but I ain't trying to be out there like that. God, I'll obey, but I'm going to stay on the shore. Oh, God, I will obey whatever you want me to do. But can you just give me clear details of how this is going to play out in my life? I think a lot of us have limitations when it comes to our obedience. And when it comes to our obedience, we're like, God, whatever you want. 
but here are my rules of engagement. Oh, this is why I think the book of Jonah is pertinent for our culture today because Jonah is about a man who had obedience issues. He was like, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but there are certain places I don't go. There are certain things I don't do. It's interesting to me that when God speaks with clarity to this prophet whose assignment is to go declare what thus saith the Lord, you think you just run into Jonah when you read the book of Jonah, but that is not true. I should have told you this last week. We first run into Jonah in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, when God actually gives him a word to go to King Jeroboam and declare what thus saith the Lord. And guess what? This prophet did it. He obeyed. But all of a sudden, when God does something unique, when God does something different, and he calls an Israelite to go speak to some Ninevites, when he calls a Hebrew to go speak to a group of people that he had judged his entire life, he said, oh, God, no, no, no. I am not going that far. I don't do that. I love the book of Jonah because the book of Jonah speaks to us today that we don't really know you're obedient until God tells you to do the thing that you don't want to do. We don't know if you truly have a heart of obedience until God asks you to do the thing that you don't want to do. As long as what you want to do always coincides with God's will, of course you're going to do his will. If God speaks to you and says, go get some crumble cookies, of course you're going to want to go get some crumble cookies. But what do you do? God says, I want you to get some Brussels sprouts. You're like, God, I don't really do that. meets the road of your faith is when God asks you to do the thing that you don't want to do. Can I be honest? I'm scared of you. If everything you want to do always lines up with what God wants you to do. You might not be following God. You might just be following you because I serve a God that'll ask you to forgive when you don't want to forgive. I serve a God that asks you to give when you want to be stingy. I serve a God that'll ask you to say it's all right when you want to give them a long text with all caps and let them know what you really think about God. We'll ask you to do stuff you don't want to do. Can you give us scripture? Jesus. He's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying a prayer saying, God, isn't there another way? If it's at all possible, let this cup pass from me. This ain't the devil. The cross was actually the will of God. And even Jesus had a moment where his will is somehow going against the will of the father. But he finally got to the place where he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Oh, I ain't going to get no shouts, but that's the problem with this generation. We don't have any nevertheless believers. We don't have any believers that say nevertheless I don't feel like doing it but his will is requiring this of me my flesh is fighting it but because you said it I'm going to do it because I am following you you're not called to follow me many of us think we're following God but actually we just want him to co-sign on what we already want to do Jonah is proof positive that God will ask you to do stuff you don't want to do He'll ask you to go places you don't want to go. Jonah's also proof positive that disobedience hides itself. We we always think disobedience is the person in the club twerking. (laughs) The person doing drugs. Oh, look at that, disobedience. But look at Jonah. You can't use that on Jonah. This is a prophet. This is a man of God. So Jonah speaks to us and lets us know that disobedience can hide itself in religious activity. That you can be worshiping and be as disobedient as anybody who's up in the club. You can be at church every single Sunday and still be disobedient. Because at the end of the day, I don't know what he told you. Only you know what he told you to do. And so Jonah, I told you last week, was the only one who got out from under the sea. Remember the sea? Not the S-E-A. The call. The call of God. The book of Jonah shows us that humanity is the only entity that resists the sea, the call. Everything God called, it obeyed. Jonah said, I'm out. I ain't going to Nineveh. God said, okay, (laughs) you're going to see. And all of a sudden, he called for the wind. (sighs) The wind obeyed. All of a sudden, he called for a storm. (sighs) The storm obeyed, and the storm is going crazy. He called for the waves, and the waves are going crazy. And here's Jonah asleep on the boat, completely oblivious that the storm he's in is because of him. And all of a sudden, everything's going crazy, and the secular sailors perceive this ain't a regular storm. Isn't that crazy? That the people who were pagans had 
had more prophetic perception than the actual prophet of God. They had been in some storms, but they looked at the sky and said, this ain't no normal storm. Somebody on this ship did something and we got to find out who it is. And they started casting lots like it was Vegas. And look at God from heaven and his sovereignty controlling the lots. And guess who it fell on? Jonah. And Jonah goes, all right, if y'all throw me in the sea, it'll stop. And they said, we don't want to do all that. Then God made the sea get more rough. And they said, you know what? We got to do what we got to do. And they picked him up and threw him out into the ocean. And God in his sovereignty, because the ocean is under the sea, his control and the call, as soon as he hit the water, everything got calm. Because everything in creation was under the sea. The call of God. And right when Jonah's drowning, come here, well, called the fish, swallowed Jonah up. I'm giving you a review from last week. Swallows Jonah. He's in there for three days, three nights, and we don't hear him pray until he finally gets in the well. Isn't that crazy? A well will do that to you. Some of us don't actually pray until we get in the environments that our disobedience got us in. And now the prophet is praying. He didn't pray when God said go to Nineveh. He ran. Oh, he prayed when he got in that well's stomach. And all of a sudden, God realized, all right, your will is broken. Then he speaks to the fish. Right here, spit them up. I told you last week, we don't know how far the well was from land, but in my exegetical imagination, he was far from the land, and it was a projectile vomit. And here's Jonah. <laughs> Flying in the air, seaweed around his neck, smelling like vomit. And he lands. And as soon as he lands, God gives him a second chance. Oh, the God of another chance. That even when I messed up, he gives me another chance. He does not get a new word. He gets the same word. Go to the bar. It just me out in church today because people want a new word. God, do you have anything new to say? No, I have the same thing I told you that you won't do. <laughs> anyway, the new word is the same word. <laughs> Finally, reluctantly, with an attitude, obstinate, recalcitrant, annoyed and stubborn, here's Jonah going to Nineveh. Can you see him? Walking to Nineveh, a town of 600,000 people, historians tell us. And he goes to Nineveh to give them a word. Can I just show you your pastor studies? I was looking at this, and some scholars actually believe that there might have possibly been something that changed in Jonah's appearance. Some scholars actually believe that perhaps the digestive enzymes of the whale could have caused Jonah's skin to be translucent. And so part of the reason there was such a revival in this pagan city is because all of a sudden they see an Israelite coming into Gentile territory. And he's not just coming into territory that Israelites don't come to. He looks like he's been <laughs> through something and he's walking in with translucent skin. Talking about repent. God will destroy this city in 40 days. And some historians believe he looks so crazy. They're like, you know what? We better get our life together because we ain't never seen nobody <laughs> that looks like this. Now, turn that off. Turn that off. Come on, let's, let's get some worship because whoever his God is, don't play. Look at him. And we don't have proof whether that happened, but that show sure will preach because I found out that sometimes God will use your been through to give a breakthrough to somebody else. Oh, sometimes God will use the people who ain't perfect but still smell like the fish that they've been through. He will use their life. He'll use that thing you're ashamed of to actually be the very platform that gives him glory. Oh, who is this message for? I need to call somebody out of the witness protection program because you used to be ratchet and you came into church and now you're acting like you always had it together. No, no, no. Please tell your real testimony so some of us in here can have some hope that if God can use somebody like you, oh, maybe he can use me. Where is the church? Gonna stop acting phony like you ain't been through some fish. Isn't that crazy? How you got people who are disobedient and been through some fish but coming to church like, no, I've always had it together. You know you ain't know when to lift up your hands. You know it was just last year you thought the book of Job was the book of Job. Don't come up in here 
looking like you got it all together now. God needs some people still got a little seaweed in their hair. I'm not saying disobey just to have a testimony. <laughs> I got to qualify because some of y'all, all right, let me work on my testimony then. Player, calm down. I am just saying, <laughs> God in his sovereignty can even use disobedience to get the glory. Don't forget what happened to them sailors after they threw Jonah overboard. They started worshiping God. When they saw there's a storm where we can throw a dude overboard and it gets calm. Oh, here's God, the real God. <laughs> These other gods we are worshiping aren't real. Because God can even use disobedience in his sovereignty to still accomplish his divine purpose. He's that good. And so here's Jonah walking through Nineveh. Repent! 40 days, God's going to overturn the city. Can you see him? Walking through, looking crazy, still mad telling the story of what God brought him through. I love that because usually a man will catch a fish and tell a story about the fish he caught. Only God will use a fish to catch a man. Somebody, I'll get that tomorrow and let that man tell the story of what he's been through. And look at the sermon. You got to see this. This is the worst sermon I've ever heard in my life. This is what he preached. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's the sermon that caused 600,000 people to turn from their wicked ways. That's the sermon. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Can you imagine? Can I just play with this text a little bit? Can you imagine if I came up here on a Sunday morning and said, 40 days, Dallas will be destroyed. And dropped the mic and just went home. But yet somehow, y'all were like, you know what? I've been trying to, I need to get my life together. That lets me know that obedience has less to do with my eloquence and my articulate words and sometimes even my attitude, but has everything to do with the sovereignty of God. It is his work. He is who causes people to respond. Homeboy has got an attitude. He's got seaweed around his neck. He preaches a pathetic sermon and perhaps the greatest revival recorded in the Bible happens. This lets us know that all the glory must go to God. That it is his work. It is what he does. 600,000 people turned, the Bible says, from the least of them all the way to the king. All of them repented. They even had the animals go on a fast. Did you read it this week? The animals. They, you, <laughs> that's, that's how pagans do. You ever see somebody that was like a pagan and they got saved for real, for real? <laughs> they always go to extremes. No, my, my cat need to get baptized, pastor. Your cat? <laughs> Pagans always go to the extreme because they knew how crazy it was out there. And all of a sudden, 600,000 people get saved. Now, here's the question I ask of you today. What should have been Jonah's response to 600,000 people repenting from their evil ways? What should have been his response? I'll tell you what my response would have been. Thank you, Jesus, that they turn from their evil ways to you. I would have been shouting. I'm telling you right now, you would have saw it on my Instagram, on my TikTok, on Facebook. Yo, killing them today. 600 people responded to the gospel. That was not Jonah's response. His response was anger. Jonah is mad that Nineveh repented. No wonder in Sunday school when they did the flannel graph with Jonah, they just stopped at the second chance. They don't tell the part where the prophet of God is upset that people turn from their wicked ways. I love chapter four because chapter four, we get the real unfiltered emotions of Jonah. Come on, we just read it. He's up, he's down. He wants to live, he wants to die. But if you get the overarching theme and emotion, he is angry. He's mad. He's upset. That's what I want to talk to you today. First, I want to talk about anger. Jonah is upset. He's not just mad. He's big mad. And in Jonah chapter 4, if you don't read chapter 4, you won't even figure out why he ran away. See, this is important to discuss because a lot of times we see people who are on the run from the call of God and we make arrogant assumptions about why they're running. You don't know why Jonah was running until you read chapter 4. It's right there in chapter 4. We read it at the beginning. He said, I knew it. God, I knew you were going. 
going to do this. I knew you weren't going to come through and actually destroy them. Oh, you're always nice and forgiving. You're always kind. Why are you forgiving them? They don't deserve it. Jonah is mad about the grace of God. He's upset about the mercy of God. That's what he's ticked off about. I thought he didn't want to go to Nineveh because the Ninevites were crazy. These were the people who had come up with crazy ways to kill people. They had all kinds of ingenuity. They learned how to skin people alive. These are wicked people. They learned how to take their enemies and to string them by a hook in their nose while they were still alive. They were morbid, sadistic people. They had learned how to take out a person's tongue while they were still alive. So at first I thought Jonah's running because they skinning people and taking out tongues. And let me tell you something right now. If you invite me to come preach and they say, yeah, we got a cool town. They love to skin people and take out tongues. I'm like, yeah, I'm busy. <laughs> Not Jonah. He actually wasn't afraid to die. The whole Jonah chapter 4, he trying to die. What's he mad about? The grace of God. The mercy of God. He didn't think they deserved it. I know it's easy to look at Jonah and castigate Jonah, but I want to ask you something today. What do you do when God wants to show grace to the people you don't like and the people you don't think deserve it? What do you do when God makes you look like a fool? Come on, he didn't even want to go tell him about God's warning anyway. He finally goes to do it, and then God doesn't come through. God doesn't actually send the judgment. He has messed up Jonah's reputation. <laughs> Thought you was a prophet. I guess he didn't come through. He's like, God, you are making me look bad. Have you ever gotten mad at God because he didn't perform the way you wanted him to perform? What do you do? When God shows grace to the people you don't like, well, y'all don't want to be honest in this second service. Let's just think practically. How many of you know we don't like people who like people we don't like? Some of y'all fell asleep. Let me get you back. We don't like people who like people we don't like. Keep it 100. Think about that person you don't like. Let your friend say, Oh, I just love Susan. She's so nice. You know, she loaned me $20 and you don't like Susan? No, let me, let, me, let me tell you about Susan. For real, okay, she loaned you 20 She owed me 200 okay? You know you like that. We don't like people who like people we don't like. But what do you do? When God loves the person you hate and then sends you to show loving kindness and mercy to him. Oh, now we got Jonah's perspective. Homeboy is big man. He's like, God, why would you forgive them? They don't deserve it. This is what blows my mind because some people actually don't want to come to faith because they think God is not compassionate enough. And they'll give that argument. Well, how could a loving God allow this to happen? Which is kind of crazy because we're the one who jacked up humanity anyway. And we live in a fallen world. <laughs> and he came to redeem it and he will redeem it fully when he comes back. But there are some people who don't think God is compassionate enough. This is not Jonah's problem. Jonah's saying, God, you're too compassionate. There's some people that don't deserve your forgiveness, and there's some people that don't need it. And the Ninevites are at the top of the list. He's mad. And I want to ask you another question today. What are you angry about? What are you angry about? Are you going to act like you don't get angry? I think it's important to ask yourself what you get angry about. Because anger is a great revealer. Anger always reveals what our true desire is and what we really love. Oh, I'm giving y'all good stuff today. Anger will always be revealed when the thing that you love is threatened. If you want to know what you love, watch what you get angry about. Because what you get angry about will always reveal what your heart is attached to. See, whatever you're shouting about or frustrated about or mad about is never that thing. It's always something behind it. It's not just that they disrespected you. It's not that that's not why you're going off. It's not just that they disrespected you. It's that your greatest love is your reputation. And so when somebody threatens your reputation, you go off. 
because you haven't got to a place in your soul where you understand that God knows who I am and my reputation is not up to other people if God knows who I am. God will fight for me. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to speak up for myself. God is a way better defense attorney than me. But if you feel like you've got to defend yourself, whatever you get angry about is what you really love. That's why God asked him the question. Can we put it on the screen? He says, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right? Because anger is one of those emotions that's kind of complicated because some people think that believers shouldn't get angry. And they think that Jesus just floated while he was on the earth. But anger is not like that. How many know there are certain things you should get angry about? Oh, come on. Jesus got angry on earth. Come on. He was flipping tables over one time. One time he got angry because they thought it was wrong for him to heal a withered hand because it was on the Sabbath. There is a righteous anger that is actually holy. Matter of fact, there is a righteous anger that will bring the change that we need to see in the world. In fact, part of the problem right now is we have some people who are so apathetic that they don't ever get angry. And God sometimes will use righteous anger so the church cannot be so scared and will actually stand up and declare what thus saith the Lord and be light in the midst of darkness. The challenge is when your anger crosses over from righteous anger to sinning anger and now you hate the people instead of hating the sin. Is this helping anybody in here today? I I I love what this one writer said about anger. It shows us the tension in anger. It says anger is a complicated emotion that unites and divides us. It fixes social problems and it creates them. It led both to the civil rights movement and the civil war. I love what this writer is saying. He's talking about the tension and anger because there's some of it that can be used for good, but then there's some of it like Jonas that has crossed over and has gone to hatred to the point that he says, God, you are wrong for forgiving them because they don't deserve it and all of us if we're honest we have Ninevites in our mind that we have pointed the finger at and said they're the problem and if you don't check your anger then you start building number two shelters remember what he did he gave the message and then he's so angry he goes and builds a shelter homeboy goes outside the city and builds a shelter. You ever done this? You gotta check your anger. Cause anger will make you go out of a city and build a shelter. And then, cause you're so mad at those Ninevites, you'll build you a little shelter and you'll sit Say, I cannot believe that this loving Savior would let them off the hook. You should have sent lightning for these Ninevites. You ever done this before? Oh, some of y'all super saved. You don't do this. I've done it. You ever been so mad that the anger made you build a shelter and now your world is so small? And you have isolated yourself because you are so mad at what they did. Whoever the Ninevites are, there are some people who won't come to church anymore because to you, the church, the church, those are the Ninevites. So I ain't coming to church and I'm going to stay locked in this house because I can't stand churches. They all messed up. I don't like him anyway. Yeah. All of the preachers are bad. Did you see documentaries about them? Yeah. So you isolate yourself. Mad. Because anger will always make you build a shelter. And you'll look out. Look at the prophet of God. This dude is looking out, waiting for God to judge him. Here it comes. Get him, God. This is why I call this room the shade room. I'm going to make it make sense by the time this sermon's over. I call this room the shade room because the shade room is the place where you have isolated yourself from whoever the Ninevites are and you sit back and you watch and you wait for their demise because you have made them the enemy. And you know when you're in the shade room, there's only one thing you can drink. 
some tea. No wonder we love the tea. No wonder we love the dirt on other people. This is our culture. If I didn't do anything but do this illustration right here, I am showing you our culture. That's why we're obsessed when celebrities fall down. That's why we're obsessed when people who have the same struggles as us hit the ground because it takes the light off of you. Because you love to sit in your shade room and sip. That's why it's called gossip. Because oh, don't nothing taste as good as a sip. That's why your heart gets excited when somebody comes up to you and says, I shouldn't tell you this, but, and here you are getting excited. What? What? Instead of looking at them and saying, if you shouldn't tell me, then why are you telling me, dear? Don't tell me if you ain't supposed to tell me. Oh! We love us some tea. Because it takes the light off of me. And as long as yours is on the blog, Ain't nobody looking at mine. As long as they texting about you. Whew, I might be doing the same thing, but ain't nobody seen mine. Thank you, Jesus. Get them, God. <laughs> Get them, Ninevites. And hear me. This is a prophetic word for our culture. In this cancel culture that has taken it way too far. Hear me so clearly today. We should hold people accountable. Oh, don't miss this message. There should be accountability when people have wronged other people and people have been in the wrong. But we have taken it over to a level and a place that the culture cannot sustain. Because anytime you reduce somebody to their biggest mistake, anytime somebody does something so wrong that you point the finger at them and you say, oh, you are finished for life, it feels good when you're on this side of it. Don't forget, there's four fingers pointing back at you. And we are creating a culture that we can't breathe in. Because it's hard to breathe in the shade room. Jonah built a shelter and isolated himself. And it feels good when you're pointing at the finger at the Ninevites. But aren't you the same one that just got out of the belly of the well? Don't you need grace too, Jonah? And this is the culture that we live in. We'll cancel anybody. Because the irony, or rather the ideology of the shade room, is if those Ninevites weren't alive, we wouldn't have problems. And you can do this with any people group. You can do this in your political ideology. This is why some people have gone crazy with this hyper-nationalism. And they're like, oh, no, no, it's, it's them. It's those people. It's the left. On the other side, it's the right. They're the Ninevites. It's that race. It's this people. You can do this all day. Because the shade room is where we love to sit back and say, God, if you would just get them will be good. But here's what I find intriguing. Is Jonah made his little shade room and he made his shelter. And what was the shelter for? Hello? So what? For what? It was for shade. He built a little makeshift shelter for the what? Well, explain the next verse to me then. Because the Bible says, then the Lord God provided a what? A leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah. Why? I'm confused. Jonah, if you built a shade room for shade, why do you need the plant? This lets me know that humanity is not created to cover ourselves. But all while you're sipping the tea about somebody else, be careful because there still is exposure in here. God still has to cover some things. That means even if I fool you and you can't see me, how many know God can see me? There's always a hole at the top. God could see Jonah's issues and say, you can't cover yourself. This was the problem with Adam and Eve. They tried to cover themselves in the garden with fig leaves. But when you cover yourself, you can never cover yourself. This is why we need the grace of God. This is 
praise break for all the times that God covered you when you tried to cover yourself. Get out of the shade room. God sends a leaf to cover Jonah because he's letting Jonah and he's letting us know you can't cover yourself. Even when you think you got your cover, there's still a place of exposure. God sends a plant and look at the prophet. He gets happy about the plant. He got excited. This is the only time we see Jonah happy in the entire text of his life. Homeboy is excited about a plant. God sends a plant. He's like, whoo, because the plant provided shade. Look at how good God is. See, anger will make you build a shelter. And the shelters that we make will never sustain because we can't cover ourselves. But do you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for God who is the great counselor. He is the great counselor. You see how he counsels Jonah by asking him questions that he doesn't know to ask? He's saying, is it right for you to be angry? Notice, even in that question, God is not saying that anger is wrong. We should have righteous anger about what we're seeing in the culture. But whenever you get like Jonah and your anger crosses over to hatred of the people, that's when it's a problem. Jonah was right in his theology. He was horrible in his practice and in his attitude. I'm not saying we should lose our righteous anger. See, this is where the culture gets it twisted too. Because he's caught in between God's mercy and God's righteous judgment. Because don't forget, God did not say go to Nineveh and give them a hug. He didn't say go to Nineveh and affirm all the wrong things they're doing. He said, no, tell them this is wrong. Judgment is coming. See, we live in a culture where people want you to affirm what's wicked. Nobody wants you to speak up and say, hey, that's wrong. And they think love is giving a hand clap to everything that somebody does. So that's one end. But the other end is if you have a heart of Jonah, where you've said what was wrong, but because God is slow to anger and he is so kind, and now you're mad that God hasn't condemned and judged people, because now you don't just hate the sin, you hate the sinner. It's a heart check. And God, who is the great counselor, says, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah gets excited about a plant. Then God sends a worm to eat up the plant. And then he sends a wind in the blazing sun. So now Jonah is exposed and Jonah is mad again and saying, God, you should kill me. And look at the great counselor. Going, are you mad about the plan? You mad about it? I'm thankful for a God that doesn't just send whales, but he sends worms. Whales are good because they cover and protect you. But the worm exposed Jonah's horrible heart. Here's what the worm exposed. Jonah, you care more about plants than you care about people. That was in his heart and he didn't even know it. The book of Jonah is scared because only the great counselor can give you a metaphor and an illustration to let you see that the way you felt about that plant that you didn't grow and that you didn't water, that's the way that I feel about those people. I love those Ninevites. I don't love what they're doing, but Jonah, those are still my children and won't be unto the church that has a heart like Jonah that's pointing fingers at a generation that God is actually calling us to show his loving kindness and show his mercy and show his grace to. Oh God, give us a church like Social Dallas that's not afraid to stand in the tension of both truth and grace. I'm going to declare everything that Bible says, but I also want to love Nineveh and say there's still hope for you. God's not done with you yet. He is slow to anger. He is quick to mercy. He is quick to grace. That's what we're called to do. Get out of the shade room and go hug a Ninevite. Get out of the shade room and go hug the person that you've been pointing the finger at. 
What if God wants to use you to show grace and mercy to the person that hurt you the most? Can you do it? Or are you going to say, God, no, send somebody else? But ladies and gentlemen, this is our gospel. That God would actually send us to the very ones that even hurt us. This is why Jesus is a much better Jonah. He's a better Jonah because Jesus didn't stand away from sinners and say, look at how messed up they are. Even though he was the only innocent one, he looked out at the city and he actually wept over Jerusalem. And he said, oh, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. This is why Jesus is a much better Jonah. He is the one that didn't stand outside of the city judging it, waiting for it to be punished. He stood outside of the city and he wept over it and he didn't just weep. He said, I'll take their place. God, don't get them. They don't know what they're doing. That's what he said to Jonah. They don't know their right hand from their left hand Jonah you gotta forgive them I don't know who this is for but I'm telling you God wants you to reflect his character and they say God forgive them for they know not what they do Jonah your anger has caused you not to weep over the people of Nineveh I love what Spurgeon said he said we will never be winners of souls until we are first weepers of souls. So before we out here trying to win the world as a church, maybe we first need to just weep with people who are weeping and maybe look at them from the perspective of they are spiritually blind. They don't know their right hand from their left hand. And yes, we will declare the truth, but we will also exhibit the loving kindness, the slow anger of the Lord. He is slow to anger, abounding in love. You know why I can give grace to you? Because I need so much grace <laughs> for me. You know why I'm not quick to cancel you? Because I know God could have canceled me a long time ago. But I'm so thankful for his loving kindness. Come on, if you're thankful for a God like that, would you get up on your feet and give him some praise today? Come on, would you thank him for his character that is consistent? Come on, that he is slow to anger. I'm going to ask every head be bowed, eyes be closed. I'm going to ask nobody leave. This, I believe, is such a prophetic word for our culture today. It's so easy to allow a heart of Jonah to get on the inside of you. Here's what's scary. Jonah didn't even know that his heart had gotten that polluted until God gave him the beautiful illustration of the worm and the plant. I thank God who is the great counselor who asks us the questions that we don't want to ask. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to keep holding that grudge towards that person that hurt you? Jonah didn't know that he cared about plants more than he cared about people. Until the great counselor revealed that your anger has crossed over into hatred and you have isolated yourself in a shade room. That's not even covering you sufficiently. I'm the only one that can cover. And because I covered you, how could you not show grace to others? Heads are still bowed, eyes are closed today. I believe this word is for somebody who maybe you've been on the run. Maybe you've been running because you ran into some type of Jonah has convinced you that what you did disqualifies you from his grace and I'm standing here reminding you of the character of our God oh hear me clearly there is a righteous standard God does not applaud sin nor does he wink at it but hear me he is slow to anger he waits and he waits some of you that's why you're here today it is the loving 
kindness of your father saying, please, please turn from that wicked way. Please, I've been speaking to you. Come back home. And hear me, the more you reject that voice, the easier it is to keep going the wrong way. But you know he's speaking to you today and I believe that he's calling somebody back home today. We say it all the time here at Social, you can always come home. You can always come home. So with heads bowed and eyes closed today, if you'd be so honest, say, Pastor Robert, I know that I have not submitted my life to the Lordship of Jesus. I'm going my own way. And today I need to respond to the call. I need to give Jesus my life. Hear me, you don't have to clean yourself up to come to him. You just have to respond to the call. If God showed grace on the wicked city of Nineveh, how much more is his loving kindness available today? If that's you today, say, Pastor Robert, would you include me in this closing prayer? I need to give him my life. Would you just lift up your hand high enough and long enough to where I could see it today? Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, he's calling you home today. He's calling his sons and his daughters home. I know what you did. You think that you're canceled because of it. I'm telling you, no. God is able to use the thing that you're ashamed of to actually be the greatest platform to declare his glory. That God can redeem. That God can save. Anybody else just lift it up and put it right back down. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Heads still bowed. Eyes are still closed today. I want to talk to somebody who maybe your anger towards whoever hurt whoever offended has gone too far and you don't have grace or patience for them but our gospel is centered on a savior who said father forgive them they don't know what they're doing See, if you're not careful with your anger towards even just one person that did something wrong, that root of bitterness will turn into a shrub and will turn into a tree. And before you know it, it will be a forest of unforgiveness. So now it's not just the man that hurt you. It is all men are evil. Now it's not just the lady that hurt you now you're mad at all women and it started with a seed of unforgiveness now it's not just the one church where you got hurt now it's the entire church that's messed up this is the trick of the enemy he wants you in the shade room sipping the tea standing by judging saying that's why i don't come out he wants you in isolation and not in community god says you gotta let it go if I did not hold your sins against you, what right do you have to hold that sin against someone else? If that's you today, would you just lift up your hand today as a sign to say, God, I'm giving that to you today. I'm letting it go. I'm letting it go. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, I sense freedom in this place today. Freedom for somebody who's been in isolation and you've been throwing your judgment at the world and right now God's love is in this place and he wants to turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh again so you can love again so you can trust again so you can have life and life more abundantly again. I'm telling you, you got to get out of the shade room. You got to get out of the place where you're standing at a distance, casting your judgment and say, God, I'm running to you.